0: before we go into it, I just want to give you guys a quick recap of chapter 8, because I think it's going to shed some light on what is going to occur in chapter 9. Uh, so in chapter 8, Jesus uh, goes around calling out the Pharisees on their sin. Uh, so this is something he's been doing pretty much all throughout John. Things really start getting intense in chapter 8. Uh, so if you guys remember the story of the Pharisees who caught the woman in adultery. So the Pharisees catch this woman in adultery. They bring her over to Jesus and they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They're like, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. We think we should stone her. What do you think we should do? They're trying to kind of get Jesus caught. They want to get him in a moral quandary. But Jesus has these awesome ways of getting out of these traps. He's like, he has these really, really witty cool things that he says. Uh, and in this scenario, he says, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So all of these Pharisees are standing around with stones in their hand ready to stone this woman to death uh, for her sin. And one by one, slowly, they just start dropping their stones and walking away because no one is without sin uh, except for one the one man who's left, that's Jesus, right? Uh, And Jesus is standing there, Jesus and the woman, and he forgives her of her sin. Um, Jesus continues in chapter eight, he calls himself the light of the world. Uh, He's moral perfection. So if you want to know God, the only way to do that is to follow the light, to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, He says that if you know me, you know the Father. And the freedom is only found by abiding in him. So believing in Jesus remaining in Jesus. That's the only way to receive freedom. And the Pharisees thought that they were pretty free. They thought, we're pretty free from any system. No one's really bothering us. We have our own legalistic system uh, that we hold to. They found themselves pretty free. They thought they were kind of top dogs. Uh, But what Jesus said to them was, no, you are a slave to the world because you don't believe in me. He even went as far as to call the Pharisees offspring of Satan. So, not exactly uh, the most lovely of dinner conversations. I feel like that could have been a little bit awkward uh, when he did that, but a bold statement nonetheless. Uh, And then throughout chapter 8, Christ boldly claimed his divinity. Christ was claiming that he was God. Um, He said, before Abraham was, I am. I am uh, is a name for God in the Old Testament. So Jesus was literally claiming his divinity in John very clearly, and the Pharisees did not like this. Uh, Jesus continued to call the Pharisees out on their sin and their hypocrisy over and over, and they continued to not get it. You could say that the Pharisees were blind to it, and that kind of leads us into uh, what we're going to be talking about today. So we're going to start in John chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 first, so it's up on the screen. Uh, verses one through seven. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, "Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his pa- parents, that he was born blind?" Jesus answered, "It was not the man that sinned, or his parents, but the wor- but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of Him who sent me, while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work." As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground, made mud with his saliva, and then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. So Jesus approached this guy and a few observations just right off the bat. The disciples had this misconception when they walked up to this man, right? They said to Jesus, why is it that this man is blind? Why is it that this man is going through this suffering that he's not been able to see his entire life? And the misconception that they had was that this man was receiving some kind of divine punishment for a very specific sin in his life, um, that either he or his parents had sinned, and that is the reason for his blindness, And it kind of brings up that really hard question. Um, It's a question I've wrestled with many times in my life. I'd imagine it's a question that many of you wrestle with on a regular basis. Um, And that is, why are bad things happening in this world, right? Why is there a good God, and yet there's bad things happening? It's a really, really difficult question to answer. But the fact of the matter is, these immense hurts are happening all around us. It's absolutely undeniable. So what's the cause of these hurts? So when I first read this, I was really kind of wanting Jesus to say something different. I wanted Jesus to be like, yeah, uh, his parents were horrible sinners. They did this, this, and this, and this is why he's blind, because at least it would make a lot of sense, right? It would be this sin happened, this atrocity happened, so this man is receiving uh, what he's owed. But Jesus didn't say that right, That's not what Jesus said. And we have, we've seen situations in the Bible where God did judge people uh, directly on earth. And he gave a divine punishment uh, for a specific sin that people have committed. He's given these corrective divine punishments. um, Things like disease or natural disasters. Um, We've seen these things throughout the Old Testament. We've seen the Israelites in captivity uh, because of their sin. But these occurrences uh, that we see all throughout the Bible are far overshadowed uh, by God's mercy that we see him bestowing, um, even in conjunction with these punishments. So I have a few examples uh, for you of these situations. Uh, In Numbers 11.1, we see his people are complaining, this angered God. So God set a fire uh, on the outside of his people's camps. So that was his divine judgment for their sin. But... Moses prayed, and the Lord quenched the fire. Uh, One chapter later in Numbers 12, 9, the Lord afflicts Miriam with leprosy, which was also cured because of prayer on her behalf. Uh, Or we can look at the nation of Israel that was sent into captivity with Babylon because of their sin, and later the children of Israel were allowed to return to their homeland 70 years later. Uh, So my point is this that yes, there have been circumstances uh, where the disciples could kind of get this notion that God does judge people for a specific sin. But we also see God's mercy mercy kind of steeped all throughout that. Uh, So to just view uh, God as a wrathful God that doesn't care about his people and is just going around throwing lightning bolts at people, that's not an accurate representation of who he is or what he does. Um, So even though God does sometimes do these things, Uh, we have to take those things into account. We have to remember his mercy. We have to remember that after, after Jesus, we know Jesus died for our sins. He removed these sins from us. And we have to remember the impact that prayer has. So those are all things we should take into account when we're possibly considering some sort of divine judgment. But it's also important to remember that even though Jesus explained that God wasn't judging these people for a specific sin that occurred, we know through the narrative of redemption, we know through the story of the entire Bible of how God is saving his people, that sin and pain and suffering, uh, they... Those things happen because of sin, because of the fall of man, because we're doing wrong. That's why death was introduced into the world. That's why pain was introduced into the world. God did not want the world to be like this. Uh, And in glory in heaven, this is not what the world is going to be like. It's not going to be a world of pain and death. Um, So I lost my spot. One sec. (laughs) So we have to remember that sin on a grander scale did cause these things to occur. It's because of our sin that these bad things happen, not because God enjoys tormenting people. But God does use our pain and our trials and our sufferings to draw us closer to him and to bring himself glory. It's one of the most beautiful things if you've ever seen a loved one go through an extreme trial and remain faithful throughout. You see them remaining faithful at the beginning of their trial, looking to God, praying to God, believing in what Jesus did, All throughout their trial and at the end of their trial when they remain faithful, that's one of the most beautiful things to witness. We've seen that God was glorified so much um, in these pain and suffering. We see this in the Bible as well. Um, If you guys think back to the story of Job. That was basically the whole idea of Job. Job's friends thought that all these horrible things were happening to Job because he was this great sinner. They were like, dude, you've got to knock off whatever you're doing because this is not going well for you. But Job was faithful, right? Job was not uh, doing anything in particular wrong. Uh, it was a completely different situation where God was being glorified through his faithfulness. So there are these situations where God is receiving glory even though these horrible things are happening, and God is using these horrible things to bring himself glory. Uh, But one thing I think it's really important to remember is that we need to be sensitive to people who are going through these trials, these really hard times in life. Um, It's not our duty to take a person's trial and budget it. Danielle and I, my wife, We've been going through um, kind of budgeting lately. We've been trying to figure out where we, where we should put our finances to be responsible with our finances. So it's like we take every dollar and we figure out where it should go every month. That's not what we should be doing with people's sufferings. We shouldn't be seeing uh, that someone has fallen ill or someone lost a loved one or someone uh, lost their job and be like, oh, well, that's obviously happening to them because they're watching this horrible TV show or, uh, Or even say to them, oh, don't worry, it's okay that your loved one died because God's going to use it for his glory. That's like a really insensitive thing to say to someone. Um, I think you guys need to realize that we do have obligations when people are going through these hard times. We have obligations to remind them of the gospel. We have obligations to care for their physical needs and to care for their emotional needs. Um, So we do have obligations, but I don't think that our obligations are to tell them why this is happening to them. Because in reality, you don't know why this is happening to them. We don't know why these bad things are happening. We don't know how God's going to use these bad things. Um, so I do want to encourage you guys to be sensitive in these situations. Uh, we, we are not, that's not our job to judge these people's situations because we don't know the scope of how God is going to use these things. Um, so, I also wanted to remind you guys. Um, ultimately, if we if we're looking at these these terrible things that are happening, right? the The ultimate story of this is Jesus, um, of a situation where Jesus was not sinning. Jesus did not sin once, yet he received uh, the ultimate suffering and pain of all of our sin on the cross, right? He received uh, the Father's judgment for our sin, even though he did not deserve that. So obviously, all of this judgment that's happening, this pain and suffering, this is not a direct result of one specific sin, because Jesus never sinned, right? So, uh, back to our story. So we have this blind man, and the disciples say, Rabbi, teacher, teacher, help them to understand who's responsible for this man's suffering, for his blindness. He made it clear uh, that it was not a punishment from God that a a sin that he has been doing or his parents have been doing that caused his blindness. He explained that the reason that he's blind is that God's power, God's glory was going to be shown. Um, But really, we do this same thing that the disciples do all the time. If we're going through a really hard time, if a bad situation's happening, a lot of times the first question we ask, right, is, God, why? Why would you let this happen to me? Everything was going great, and now everything's falling to pieces. God, why? It's so relatable. Like, it's so incredibly relatable to see what the disciples are saying here. But I think sometimes when we're looking at our trials, we should be asking Where do I see the Lord in this trial instead? Instead of asking God why this trial is happening, looking for places where we can see the Lord. Um, And I think that he will reveal himself to us. In verse 4, Jesus was talking about um, a situation where he would eventually leave the earth. Obviously, we know the Lord ascended, Jesus ascended to heaven. Um, So when he was talking about the light of the world, which is him um, leaving soon, uh, because it was day, Jesus was still on earth. So that's what he was referring to. He was saying it's day, we need to continue working because uh, Jesus was still around. So real quick, I want you guys to do me a favor. Uh, we're going to try to put ourselves in this blind man's shoes. So if everyone could close their eyes. We're going to try to see with the blind man's eyes. That was, that was a joke. Um <laughs> Blind people can't see. Uh, Okay. So you're blind from birth. You've never seen anything. It's always been this dark. It's probably been darker than what you're seeing right now. I'm sure you see some light shining through your eyelids. I'd imagine he did not even see that. You can't work because you're blind. There's no job for a blind man. So your daily life is sitting and begging for your livelihood. It's a humiliating life. People probably mock you. They ridicule you daily. It's not an easy existence. You're sitting in your normal spot one day and you hear some people off in the distance start talking about you and you think, okay, here they go again. These people are talking about me. He hears Jesus' voice stand out amongst the others. He hears Jesus say, it's not your fault that you're blind or your parents' fault. Jesus said that I'm blind because God's power is going to be shown through my weakness. And you're sitting there like, okay, what in the world does that mean? You hear Jesus approach, you hear him walk up and go, <laughs> and you think, oh no, I heard that sound before puts his arm up, ready to be spit on again, but not this time, right? He hears the sound of Jesus mixing the mud, then he feels this gross, lukewarm, slimy mud being rubbed all over his eyes. Then you're told to go and wash, and suddenly you see for the first time. You guys can open your eyes. So the next gigantic chunk of this story is people trying to make sense of what just happened. This crazy miracle happened. This man who was blind from birth suddenly can see. So the first group of people that are trying to make sense of this are his neighbors, the people who have seen him every single day uh, as they walked by as he was begging. So we're gonna read uh, chapter eight verses, or verse eight uh, through chapter nine, verse eight, Through 12. Uh, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes open? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So these neighbors, these neighbors had seen him their entire life and they simply can't make sense of this. How could this be? This man was blind his entire life and now he's walking around perfectly fine. How in the world can this man have been blind and now see? The crazy thing is that all that this guy knows about the man who healed him, is his name, Jesus. And he heard him saying something about how God is going to be glorified through this situation. That's it. That's all this man knows about Jesus. As we continue through this story, I want you guys to pay close attention uh, to how Jesus is revealed to this man. He's going to be developing his understanding of Jesus as he goes. So just please pay attention to that. And ultimately, it's going to end in him putting his faith in Jesus as Messiah, um, at the end of the story. So in the next section, in verses 13 through 34, the Pharisees are going to be the next people to investigate. Remember, the Pharisees were the ones that were having issues with Jesus in verse 8, the ones that are trying to catch Jesus in a trap. So in verse 13, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him, how he had received his sight. And, they, and he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He said, He's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called his pa- the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, them, is your son called, or sorry, is your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered, we know that our son, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, that he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, that I was blind and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes, yet he opened my eyes. We do not know that God does not, we do know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone's eyes, any eyes of a man, (laughs) sorry, heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If the man were not God, he could do nothing. Then they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would teach us. And they cast him out. So this next section the man that was previously born blind was brought to the Pharisees, and they were doing this intense uh, investigation. They were trying to figure out how could it be that this man uh, can now see. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made this mud. Uh, so they were, once again, trying to catch Jesus in a trap because you weren't supposed to need clay on the Sabbath day. You weren't supposed to make pottery. So they were saying, oh, he's kneading he's mud, so he was doing work on the Sabbath day, Right? Um, So they were trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus didn't care about their legalistic system. Jesus always turns it on its head. And notice his answer about who Jesus is. It's changed from who he said Jesus was before. Um, He used to say, Jesus is just some guy. I I don't know who he is. Now he was saying Jesus is a prophet. Now, he's not entirely correct yet. um, But he's getting closer and closer to who Jesus really is. A prophet in the Old Testament was the highest standing person um, in the Jewish faith. He was the mouthpiece of God. Um, so he saw that, God, he, that Jesus was speaking for God, that he was doing God's mission. He was like, yeah, this guy has to be a prophet. That makes sense. Um, so they don't like the answers that they're receiving from the man. So they go to his parents to try to shed some clarity on this situation. So they basically ask the parents four questions. They start by saying, is this your son? And they say, yeah, he, he's our son. And then they say, was he born blind? And they knew that answer too. He was born blind. Does he truly see now? Yeah, he really does. He actually does see now. But then they ask him this fourth question. This fourth question was the kicker for them. He asked, how did this happen? And they said, we do not know. Ask him yourself. They were afraid to tell the Pharisees, uh, like we saw in verse 22, uh, that they believed that Jesus had done this. They were faced with this choice to choose, are we going to uh, profess Jesus as who he is or not? And they chose not to. They weren't willing to pay uh, the price of that. So we know, if we peek back in the Gospel of John, that things were rocky between Jesus and the Pharisees. Uh, back in chapter 5, that was one of the first times they tried to kill Jesus. Um, in chapter 8, at the end of chapter 8, the Pharisees picked up stones to stone Jesus, and Jesus kind of vanished in the crowd. It was some sort of uh, bizarre miracle. And so we understand that not only was Jesus being persecuted heavily by these Pharisees, uh, but Jesus... Anyone who was following Jesus, who professed Jesus as Christ, as the Messiah, as the Savior, was also going to be persecuted. So it was risky business if you were going to do so. In verse 25, they're like, don't lie to us anymore. We need to hear the truth from you. We're sick of you circumventing our questions. And I absolutely love the answer that the formerly blind man gives. You see, they ask him these questions about who Jesus is, but as you guys know, if you've been tracking, he doesn't really know who Jesus is. He guessed earlier that he was a prophet, but ultimately he doesn't really know, and I love how he answered it this second time. Um, He didn't know the answer, so instead of giving some kind of answer um, that he just made up, he just told them what Jesus did for him. They told him, I don't know who he is. I just know that I was blind, And now I see. I think there's something in this for us, guys. I think that um, a lot of times we're afraid to talk to people about God, to talk to people about Jesus, and talk to people about the gospel because we're afraid they're going to ask really hard questions. It's a very scary thing to be confronted with a question that you don't know the answer to, especially when it's so central uh, to who you are as a person, it's so central to your faith. It's a very scary thing. Um, But I think that it's really important to remember what the blind man said here, right? He said, I don't know, I just know what he did for me. That was his testimony. And I think that a testimony can be one of the very most powerful tools that we can use in evangelism. I think that a lot of times, if we just shared our stories with people, it would impact them in such a bigger way than giving them all this theological jargon, uh, than trying to uh, open up a can of worms of apologetics and just um, kind of beating them over the head with textbooks. That's not going to do anything for anyone. I think that the spirit works through people's stories, and I think that that's the best way to uh, tell people about Jesus, to be completely honest. Um, It's kind of like If you have an intense pain down in your stomach, right, and you're just like, oh man, this really hurts. And so if you look it up on WebMD, you're gonna find that you have multiple cancers of the bowel, (laughs) that you also have a bowel obstruction, and that you're going to die uh, that day. But if instead I went to my wife and I was like, oh man, I'm really hurting. I'm getting a little nervous about it. She would say, do you remember that we had Chipotle for lunch? (laughs) I feel the same way right now. Uh, It's just gas. Do not worry about that. It's it's a similar thing, right? It's like uh, her story is so much more beneficial and impactful than uh, all of the explanations I would get on WebMD. It's the same deal. Um, it's, It's our stories that the Spirit's going to work through. So I just encourage you guys, don't be afraid to have these conversations. Just point people back to Jesus. Point point people to what Jesus has done in your life uh, and have a good understanding of what Jesus has done in your life. If you're not really sure, that's definitely something uh, worth pondering and worth um, thinking about. So uh, our last section is verses 35 through 41. um, And this is where the The formerly blind man is finally going to come face to face for the first time with Jesus. So in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had driven him out. And when they found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir? Tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, you have seen him. The one speaking with you is he. And he said, Lord, I believe And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into the world for judgment so that those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become blind. Some Pharisees nearby heard him say this, and they said to him, Surely we are not blind, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. So this is this beautiful moment uh, of kind of this culminating experience of this man where he he had this life-changing event occur. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is. Everyone's asking him who Jesus is. He's not really sure. And finally, he comes face-to-face with Jesus and sees Jesus with his new eyes for the first time. It's so easy to see how God's glory was shown through his trial, not only in his life, but, I mean, Thousands of years later, we're telling the same story, right? And it's impacting us. So we can clearly see how God's glory is being shown through this. Uh, I hope you guys can see the beauty of this real-life analogy, right? The situation where this man went through this really hard physical existence, uh, but compared to the spiritual blindness that he was experiencing, that was nothing. The real amazing thing that happened in this story is when he received his spiritual sight, when he believed in Jesus as his savior. I just love the way that Jesus revealed himself to this man. We have to remember and understand uh, that Jesus' gospel, um, we don't always understand that overnight. Sometimes it takes a while to understand who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how that impacts every part of our life. I think that sometimes our Christian walk and our understanding of Jesus and the gospel is like this. We start with this remarkable transformation Uh, the spirit breaks into our heart and we believe for the first time um, and we see the world through new eyes, but we still don't necessarily know everything that's going on. It's not like the moment we believe, boom, I understand absolutely everything about God and the gospel and how the gospel is changing my life on a daily basis. Those are things that I'm understanding more every single day. And I think that It's kind of like the opposite of how vision works in the physical world. So, Danielle and I were driving just last night and she was saying, she was squinting at road signs and she was like, I think I need a new prescription pretty soon here and then I started squinting too. It's too bad we don't know an eye doctor. Um, (laughs) We do. Kelly's an eye doctor. Um, (laughs) But, as we get older, our sight is going to degrade over time, right? That's just what happens with old age. With Christian maturity, the opposite happens. With Christian maturity, instead of our eyesight getting worse, we see God so much more clearly. We understand so much more clearly how the gospel is impacting our lives on a daily basis. And that's something we can look forward to. That's called sanctification. And it's when God makes us more like him. I think that a lot of this happens in discipleship and community. Uh, some of the best stories and, and the most motivating stories, and where I see Jesus the clearest, is when I hear people in my small group telling stories about uh, how they shared the gospel with a coworker, or how God is really. Uh, kind of laid it on their heart to reach out to their neighbors. Like, those are the things that change me. It's not when we do an awesome study. Uh, it's not when we are really focused in uh, on some super academic things. It's these real-life stories about how God is changing our lives. Um, so I think that if you want to see some of that going on, I definitely recommend being in a community uh, regularly with other believers because that's, that's where you're going to see the spirit moving. That's where you're going to see the spirit working. Um, Many of us are here right now even to try to learn more about Jesus, understand the gospel better, um, and how it changes our everyday. So when we're feeling frustrated in this kind of grind of trying to understand more about God, trying to know Jesus better, uh, just remember uh, this blind man and what the blind man did. He was under these trials and these persecutions. Um, He went through all of this in his life, and the answers that he gave were, we're not crazy answers. He simply just remembered what Jesus did for them. So I encourage you, when you're going through a hard time uh, in your life, just remember what Jesus has done for you in the past. Um, just remember the basics. Just go back to the basics. You don't always have to make things so complicated. Um, so we could do this same thing, right? We don't know everything about God, but when we're in suffering, we do know that we used to be blind and now we see, and that's what we need to remember. So this is a wonderful story, uh, but the question really lies, how does this impact our everyday? What's the application from this? So if you're someone who's sitting in this room and you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you believe that he's opened your eyes uh, and you're following him. I want you to look into your own life. I want you to consider... Uh, the situation we were reading about with the Pharisees. What areas in your life uh, would you say that you're still blind to how the gospel is working? What areas in your life is the truth of the gospel even been made clear to you, but you're not willing to believe that? You're not willing to believe that the gospel can change this about your life. Like the Pharisees, they they, they didn't think that they were blind. This had to kind of be revealed to them uh, by Jesus. And they still couldn't see it, even though it was revealed to them. And he rebuked them harshly for that. So I encourage you, you really got to look into your own life and try to figure out these areas uh, where you are not believing the gospel in your life. What are the areas where you know the gospel conquers that sin, but you are not willing to believe it? You're continuing in that sin because you are not believing that the gospel has the power to conquer that sin. You see, the gospel applies to absolutely every part of our life. If we believe, we're not only believing that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection save us from future judgment and give us eternal life, but we're also believing that the gospel is redeeming and restoring us in the very present. The gospel applies to absolutely every part of life. So I ask you again, what area of your life are you not letting Jesus restore? because you're choosing not to believe? Is it with your finances? Are you holding your money or spending your money in ways that don't show that you're trusting God? Is it with your relationships? Are you trying to fill this void in your life with other people that only Jesus can fill? Is it with your worry? Do you fear the unknown? Does it cripple you, even though you know that God is in full control? I urge you tonight to take a moment to look into your own life, analyze these areas of willing blindness in your life and give those over to the Lord. Let him heal you with his gospel. But maybe you're sitting here and God is still opening your eyes to the good news. Maybe you aren't quite sure where you stand on this whole Jesus thing yet. I challenge you to look at how Jesus has transformed the lives of the people around you. Following Jesus has transformed my life. It's given me hope purpose, and he's making me whole. He's filled this deep, aching void in my life that I think all of you know what that feels like. And if you guys come tomorrow night, Lee's going to talk even more about that deep, aching void in your life. He's filled that with joy and peace, and he wants to do the same for you. He lived a perfect life and died for you so that your sin could be removed and you could be made whole too. And I'm not saying that my life is perfect in every way. I'm not saying that I'm happy all the time uh, and that I have no issues, it's actually quite the contrary. I experience sadness, anxiety, trouble around every turn. Sometimes it seems like uh, one struggle ends and the next one begins, sometimes they overlap. Life is complete chaos, it's completely hard to handle. But I no longer have to be the person who's strong enough to handle that. I don't have to make it through these trials. Ultimately, God is in control and he loves me and he's not going to let me go. So I hope that tonight will be the night where you finally believe in what he did for you and that you would believe he's the only way to salvation. I hope that tonight your eyes will be opened and you would look to Jesus for the healing of your soul. Let's pray. Father God, I just... I just pray for the people in this room right now. I pray that uh, whatever you want to stir up in their heart, Lord, that you would do so, God. Remove the calluses of the hearts in this room, Lord. I pray that you would break into our hearts and make us more like you. Reveal to us the areas where we are not believing your gospel, where we're choosing to be blind. And Lord, for the people in this room who you still have to open their spiritual eyes, I pray that you would do this on this very night. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.